You wish to confess your crimes? Yes, milady. I do, milady. Sky cells always break them. Speak, imp. Meet your gods as an honest man. Where do I begin, my lords and ladies? I am a vile man. I confess it. My crimes and sins are beyond counting. I have lied and cheated, gambled and whored. I'm not particularly good at violence, but I'm good at convincing others to do violence for me. You want specifics, I suppose. When I was seven, I saw a servant girl bathing in the river. I stole her robe. And she was forced to return to the castle, naked and in tears. If I closed my eyes, I could still see her tits bouncing. When I was ten, I stuffed my uncle's boots with goat shit. When confronted with my crime, I blamed a squire. Poor boy was flogged, and I escaped justice. When I was twelve, I milked my eel into a pot of turtle stew. I flogged the one-eyed snake. I skinned my sausage. I made the bald man cry into the turtle stew, which I do believe my sister ate. At least I hope she did. I once brought a jackass and a honeycomb into a brothel. Silence! What happened next? Hey everybody and welcome to our podcast. I'm Duncan. And I'm Kristen. And this is Game of Microphones episode 48. So good to have you back, Kristen. Yay! (laughs) I'm excited to be back too. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. I'm sure we'll get to talk about some really cool stuff. You ready to just jump right in? Yeah. Um, yes. Yes, I am. All right, let's do it. Top five highlights of Game of Thrones season one, episode six, A Golden Crown. What did you think of this episode? <laughs> I love this episode. It's a it's a classic for sure. <laughs> you know, yes. lots of great stuff happens. Uh, the, our first Tyrion um, trial by combat, Viserys's death, his timely death, um, you could say. So much good stuff. What do you think? I loved it. I, um... You know, I I love a lot of season one. Um, This is kind of the beginning of the end of Ned, I think, this episode. And it's it's getting harder to watch. Like every time he's on the screen, I'm just like, don't do it. Just just go to Winterfell. What are you doing? So I strip him of all ranks and titles (laughs) and summon Tywin Lannister to court. And meanwhile, Littlefinger in the background is like twirling his mustache. <laughs> and he's just totally setting up Ned to have to do something by making the specific comments that he's making and shutting down Pycelle at every opportunity in that conversation. <laughs> oh, Great. there's another guy I hate. That that guy I just every I I his ultimate his end in this series was just so satisfying. So Oh, getting stabbed to death by all the little kids. It was awesome. So brutal. So uh, it's interesting. We in one of these episodes we get a little clip where he's in with some whore, um, 
Pycelle, that is. And talking about the thing about kings, and they go to this whole conversation or monologue, and at the end he kind of trails off, and she's like, so, the thing about kings, and he kind of forgets what they're talking about, and she leaves, and he kind of, like, stretches out, and then he looks all limber, and he's kind of, like, jumping around a little bit. We never get any payoff for that. Remember that? That's true. I, I, I do. I, you know, it's funny, because I always think about that particular scene whenever I see him. Um, especially in these early episodes, because you don't know that about him yet. And you just think that he's just this senile old man who just says things, you know, like your racist grandfather. Or something. <laughs> yeah. And then you realize, oh, this guy is really sneaky. He's terrible. OK, yeah. got it. He's powerful. Oh, I hate him, too. I hate the whole small council. I, I'm using the word hate a lot in the beginning <laughs> right now here. <laughs> At least you love the episode, though. Yes. So I what's did. your uh, what's your number five? It would probably be what I called the heart eating prophecy. Oh, all right. Um, and I wrote down everything that um, Jorah said. Um, and he said a couple of interesting things to to Viserys. You know, first of all, it's um it's such a weird scene. You know, you, you you're kind of thrown into this ritual that the Dothraki are doing with with Daenerys and you're kind of wondering why on earth she's sitting there and why is there blood on her face and why is everybody chanting and yeah why you know, is she in the middle of the crowd What's right going on? <laughs> right it was just really strange but then you kind of understand as the scene unfolds a little bit and Jorah you know it, it's nice to have somebody as stupid as Viserys there so that Jorah can mansplain it to him <laughs> Isn't it only uh, mansplaining if you're talking to a woman, though? Yeah, I I didn't I didn't stutter. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, Harry Lloyd's coming for you after that. Viserys is more of a woman than uh, than Daenerys. (laughs) (laughs) I plead the fifth. So anyways, he um, he said that his enemies will cower before him and their wives will weep tears of blood. She's going to have a boy. Um, and he said, well, he won't be a true Targaryen. He won't be a true dragon, which is interesting because where we are now, you know, if there is a baby that's had between um, John and Danny, that that would be, would you know, be. a right. true dragon and a true Targaryen. Wow. <laughs> and then the next thing that um, that Jorah says is the stallion who mounts the world. The stallion is the call of calls. He shall unite the people into a single Kalasar and all of the people of the world will be his herd, which is kind of what Daenerys is doing right now. Totally. Um, she's united all of, uh, you know, all of the calls she's, uh, united them with, you know, the second sons, even though they're not there and the unsullied. And then she started gathering houses in Westeros. And now with the unification between her and the North, you know, it, it sets up even more that she could in fact, eventually have the stallion who mounts the world and unites the people. Right. And um, if the dragon has three heads, then all three heads are doing their part to unite the uh, the world Kalasari. You could say the uh, the head in the right. north, Jon Snow, um, is united the wildlings in the northern houses. Tyrion is going to hopefully help unite the Lannisters and uh, the Targaryens. <laughs> right. So, all yeah. against you know one common enemy in the end. But um, 
And then at the very end, Joris says, she truly is a queen today instead of a, and he didn't say Khaleesi, even though he calls her Khaleesi, she's known as a Khaleesi, he still called her a queen. So I just thought that that whole prophecy was just really interesting right off the bat. Totally. Really good. um, Good read on that whole thing. Um, My number, is that, is that it for your number five? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mine plays into it. So we'll go right into mine. Mine is badass Danny. (laughs) <laughs> and, and she's just such a badass throughout this whole episode. But in that scene, you know, she's she's eating this whole monstrous heart. Imagine doing that. No. And just having the, the intestinal fortitude to, <laughs> to hold that down and um, complete that task. It's a pretty monstrous idea because the heart is like really tough, tough muscle. Um it's got to just be horrible eating through well, all those arteries and everything. Yeah. And it's raw. And, uh, um, I was actually, I watched the, um, the episode and then I, as I was putting together the agenda for the podcast and my number five, my top five, I, um, I put the episode on repeat with the audio commentary and, um, got some cool insight about these scenes. For example, when Danny, was when um, Amelia Clark was prepping for the scene, they told her that the um, the heart was going to taste like gummy bears, basically. So she's like, oh, God, like, how am I going to do this acting um, where I'm going to have to make it seem like it's gross? It tastes gross when I, I'm a, I have a huge sweet tooth and I love gummy bears. I'm just going to be smiling. And then it turned out that it actually did taste really gross. <laughs> so she didn't yeah, have to Yeah, because whatever they filled with into it and then that was actually the episode in the shoot that i don't know if you've ever heard the story about um her getting stuck on a toilet oh from the stickiness stickiness yeah and she couldn't and she couldn't and she couldn't get anybody to help her (laughs) and so she was stuck on the toilet for like 20 to 30 minutes or something crazy like that because of the dried blood all over her (laughs) classic yeah so the uh the audio commentary was her it was one of the two, Dave or Dan, Harry, um, Lloyd. Harry Lloyd, right, and Tyrion um, Dinklage, and Harry Lloyd is such a whiny, like, feminine, um, just junk <laughs> human on the TV show, Viserys, but Harry Lloyd seems like just the most chill, laid-back, like, intellectual, cool dude around. Um, he's, he seems like the leader of the crew, almost, when we're, you're listening to the audio commentary, so it's interesting to see him being such a... Uh, like the opposite of a leader on the TV show, but seeming like he's actually like the head of what's going on almost <laughs> in person yeah. in real life. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, there's so many badass Danny moments in this. She's we start off with her first of all playing with a dragon egg. I think it's Drogon's egg specifically next mm-hmm. to a smoldering brazier. She, I really appreciate that they're uh, color coded. Yeah, <laughs> I totally. <laughs> I, I saw the green one and I'm like, oh, just leave it. <laughs> Just wait a few years, yeah. <laughs> um, so she's uh, she's she picks up the Drogon's egg and places it onto the burning embers, coals, and um, it almost seems like she's in a trance, like she isn't conscious of what she's doing necessarily. But to me, it seemed like she was one with the forces of the universe and one with destiny, and she just knew what she needed to do instinctively. Mm-hmm. And it's a really powerful moment, like sort of like the blank, just serene expression on her face. And she places the egg and settles in next to it and is just watching it in peace. And right as she leans over to pick up the the roasting egg, Jiqui, or one of her servants, uh, handmaidens, walks in. 
and exclaims, Khaleesi, as she grabs the egg and she picks it up and Jeekweed kind of like scoops it out of her hands and ah, dumps it onto the brazier and immediately, before caring for herself, reaches for Khaleesi's hands and sees that they're perfectly fine and then she pulls her hands back and sees that they've, they're just horribly burned with all the, the little scaly egg marks <laughs> all over her hands. And it, she's just, Danny's, you know, she responds in, in um, sort of still in her trance, it seems like, you're hurt, you know, and Jukri right. just has nothing to say. Um, at a total loss for words, as Danny is entirely unharmed, she's just so badass. And um, they pointed out on the in the uh, audio commentary that she's wearing one of her original Targaryen robes for this scene. Um, now that she's becoming more of a... Uh, powerful Dragon. yeah like a, a powerful person and she's in being ingrained as in the 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 uh the Khalasar as their khaleesi and she's sort of representing her heritage at this point proudly um and yeah representing the targaryens and um just it's pretty cool yeah i i have i have all of that written down as well i have a a question mark about why she was in the drapey robe when she's been in the Dothraki wear for so long and then I saw that um, her handmaiden was coming in with fresh clothes for her so I was wondering if maybe she was like bathing or something um, and that's just like what she was wrapped in but it probably was set up for for what she was about to do with the eggs right yeah that's what they were saying on the audio commentary good catch I, I hadn't even noticed the change in wardrobe or anything like that so I'm obsessed I've, I've never care about costumes except for with this show I know the I, costumes are amazing on this show love the evolution of of the costumes in this world but um you know it's interesting because this is the second time that we've seen that she's not burnt Right. Um, the first time being in, I think, the first or second episode. First, um, uh, first scene we see her in the pilot episode. Right when she steps into the tub after she gets the uh, the the brotherly nipple pinch. Gross. <laughs> yeah. I'm even happier that he's dead. <laughs> I know. Right. It was funny too hearing them, uh, like the actor and actress Harry Lloyd and uh, Amelia Clark, sort of discussing that that initial scene and in the audio commentary too. Uh, because they're not actually brother and sister, so it wasn't really, it didn't seem awkward or anything for them. But as a listener, you know, I'm like, oh my God, this is so weird. Um, right. Well, it, it's a nod to how good they, how well that they do in their, uh, in their roles. Absolutely. Oh uh, yeah. So it goes from that scene to the next scene we talked about with the, her eating the horse heart, but that's just such a badass scene. You know, the prince is riding. I've heard the thunder of his hoofs. Swift as the wind he rides. <laughs> His enemies will cower before him. <laughs> That's the same lady that does that prophecy that we see later, correct? Um, which prophecy? The fir- the the prophecy, um, the one who's you know chanting and shouting out, um, you know everything that Jorah was, um, was deciphering or, or translating to um, Viserys, the woman who was making the songs and everything like that. So you mean Miri Mazdur? Yes, thank you. Different lady. Um, I believe. I think this lady may be uh, the lady that's at the Dosh Colleen. That's what. That's what I'm talking about. Seven, that that or woman. Season six. Oh, okay, I thought right. you meant uh, the one that go, did the birth ritual. When she has to go ritual. back and she has to be with all of the right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The yeah. widows and yep. she was talking to that woman. I who was like kind of their their leader. Yeah, I think that's it probably looked like the same, the same actress. That's good. If it is, uh, good job bringing her back into the fold. It makes. You know, it makes sense. She seems to be the the head ex-Khaleesi at this point here. So, 
perfect. Yeah, it ties it together, which is nice. Yeah, I had thought you were referring to Miri Mazdur, the uh, the lamb, the the lady of the lamb people, um, the the Meiji. Oh, who killed Caldrogo? Yeah, no. kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's just a super badass scene, and at the end of that, um, you know, delete. Uh, Danny stands up in the middle. A prince rides inside me, and he shall be called Rago. And everybody just just loving her, and they start chanting Rago. And Drogo comes and picks her up, and they have like a magical, like <laughs> connection with their eyes, where they're just smiling at them. each other. And yeah, they're yeah. great together. And um, Jora, as you said, our, our Viserys kind of goes. They love her, you know. And Jorah says, she truly is a queen today. And then right. turns and Viserys is gone. And we'll talk about that at a, at my next point. But then... Um, if the you next... want to go right into that when you're done, we can. Sure. It's Yeah, that's my number four um, is Viserys' <laughs> character progression in this story, too. So we can uh, jump into that after. Um, but we get to the next scene with Danny, and it's at Viserys' death scene. And she's, you know, laughing, having a good time. Viserys comes in drunk, ends up with his sword at her belly, right? And she's so badass. She's stoic. She doesn't blink or miss a beat. She stays perfectly calm. She's not crying. She's not freaking out, you know? And then um, when Drogo sort of tricks Viserys into taking his sword away, she's looking right at him and tells him, you know, you... Drogo says he'll give you the crown, <laughs> a crown that men will tremble to behold, you know, and she's just so badass. Um, she's really become a powerful person at this point in the series. Even before the dragons are born, she's stepped into her own, and it's great to see her leave behind the meek Danny of old, um, the slave, the the younger sister who's living in the shadow of the shadow of a snake, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and what you got anything to say about Danny in this scene? I sorry, I was just like totally daydreaming about about that whole relationship with Danny and and uh, Drogo. Just because what what you're saying is is totally true. I think that um, realizing that she could be an equal with her partner with with um, Drogo, right? I think that that really helped her kind of come into her own and realize that you know how much she had to offer after being beaten down by Viserys for so long. Yeah, first time she could be an equal to anybody, right? And I think that once you know he comes in and as she strengthens, he realizes how weak he really is, and right. and how dependent on her he has become yeah, totally dependent she's got the eggs she's got the army everything she's that got he everything wants to love right you know? right and you know um you know she's such a badass and and i love i i love the arc of her character but you know i i think that it would be um that it it it, it would be a negative not to you know acknowledge that drogo had a huge part to do with with that with her um with her coming into her own yeah his strength just passed right into her (laughs) right the cow of cows you know like the the most badass call they've had in generations and um yeah taken out by an infected (laughs) boo-boo yeah sadly (laughs) it's a real issue though you know um and wound infection is a, a dangerous thing in real life yeah. so it's it's kind of cool that the show addressed that 
um, in this case and in the case with Robert. You know, his wound was much more serious, but it shows how even a seemingly minor wound can be uh, really dangerous. Yeah, and I mean, you can even go so far as to say that, you know, Ned being wounded by Jamie um, took a lot of, took a lot out of him in the end, you know? Yeah. Um, Interestingly, while they were filming this, um, I guess a flu was going around on the set of the show and... Sean Bean actually got the flu, so he is legit So he's actually, like, (laughs) feverish during that first scene. Yeah, which is hilarious. Um, Just thought that was a funny little tidbit to add in. But yeah, um, the final moment that just solidifies how strong Danny is in this this, uh, world now at this point is, you know, Jorah comes over and tells her, look away, Khaleesi. She refuses. She won't look away. She's going to watch everything that happens to Viserys as it unfolds and she stays strong. Um, you know, once he threatens her unborn kid, it's obvious that, uh, family means nothing to him, you know, loyalty, honor, morals mean nothing to Viserys. So he's got to go basically. Um, well, yeah. And I, I had it written down as a side note, um, that you can tell, how much, how little he cares about everything around him and, and just how narrow his scope is just in how he handles the eggs versus how Danny handles the eggs. Right. You know, Danny handles them with this loving touch and, and with this extreme care. Whereas, you know, Viserys, he grabs them, he shoves them in a bag, he drops them to the side before he storms out. He just drops the whole bag with the eggs like clinking off each other and everything. Right. He he's decided that, you know, he he doesn't see that maybe the eggs, you know, could be a power play or or something to treasure or something to hang on to. He just wants he wants his big army and his ship to go over to Westeros for what? You know, I mean, I and it's crazy to me that he thinks that he believes that, you know, people are waiting for this five year old to come back. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, Danny saw right through that. So good for her. Yeah. Um, yeah, really cool. So yeah, that's that pretty much wraps up my number five. She just, you know, solidifies it. He was no dragon. Fire cannot kill the dragon. <laughs> such a badass line. Um, that is such a great line. That's one of my favorite favorite lines that she says because she realizes, I think, in that moment that. She is the dragon. Yeah, she. Yeah, I, she didn't. And know. I think that she didn't want to look look away because she was genuinely interested to, to see, see if it happen. was going to affect him. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that um, angle to that line. I think you're probably right. And uh, yeah, when she sees it, she realizes that how different they really are. Um, it's interesting. She's got the strength of character and the dragon strength, and he has neither. Yeah, absolutely. Well, she was born under the uh the red star. Um <laughs> but she um I I had a thought cuz I was rewatching it last night and um I had a thought if she got poured with that molten I don't think it would have done anything to her. May have uh, just been hard to get off. <laughs> <laughs> she has like a permanent helmet now. She's like, I'm ready yeah. for battle at all times. <laughs> Except it's gold, so it's like terrible armor. You know, it can be punctured easily and everything. Gold's really yeah. soft. <laughs> but you'd know when she was coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. You see the sun shining off her from a beacon as she's riding on her dragon. 
on a really hot day, she can mold it into like a dragon shape if she wants to. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, what's your number four? Um, my number four is um, Tyrion's confession and trial. All right. Love it. So, um, my you know, I, three, my so. first thought off the bat with this poor guy is that <laughs> he's just always accused of crimes that he didn't commit. Always. And for always calling him a half man and an imp and some somebody that's just not worth a damn. They're really re- like everybody really wants to call him a murderer or a schemer or a planner or I mean, something like that. From the moment that. he's and, born, he's accused of killing his mother, which isn't his fault. Right. You know. None of it's right. his fault. He, he never really gets, um, I don't know, he just never gets a fair shake at anything. Yeah, yeah. Not even at a human form. Right, I know, poor guy. Um, but I do like it how Braun is kind of won over by Tyrion in his confession. You know, yes. um, he just sits there and he's he's listening. And I think that seeing the type of person that Tyrion was, you know, Bronn was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to roll the dice on this guy. And, he's like, yeah, I like see. this guy. You know, he's worth um, worth risking my life for in hopes of gold. You know, not only is there gold, but this guy seems worthy of my service, my saving. <laughs> it's great. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I thought it was really funny. I forget who was it. Um, I forget if it was Liza that was like enough, or or if Tyrion was done or something. But Robin's like, "What happened next?" I'm like, "Gosh, you're <laughs> such a weirdo." Yeah, he's so weird. <laughs> um, but I think the most interesting part of this whole confession and his trial and just how the events laid out um, was kind of watching Catelyn the whole time. Um. I think she slowly realizes that Tyrion dying would be a Fucked. really, really terrible thing. Yeah, she's realizing how badly she kind of screwed up. And she's kind of she's kind of powerless in this entire situation. And Liza, who we find out later, is the one that actually killed her husband. I don't understand the game she's playing right now by trying to get Tyrion to die for some crime that she's drudging up. Um, you know, it, it was just really interesting to me how, um, maybe if she could pin it on Tyrion and Tyrion, then Tyrion's executed, then there'd be no one to argue, um, against any, the, whoever it, it would be pinned on anyway, you know, like, um, so Tyrion's yeah. being blamed by Kat for the, uh, the death uh, or attempted murder of Bran. And then Lysa's like, oh, this is a great opportunity. He can be my scapegoat. Cause if he's going to die anyway, um, right. Then, then we can just get that out of the way, uh. Maybe. Yeah. But, you know, I, and, and I see I see that and I think that that's such a good that that's that's a really, really good point. Um, I just don't understand why Kat didn't just interject and say, you know what? This guy's my prisoner. I'm going to take him back to King's Landing or Winterfell or wherever it Try is that I'm going to go. Yeah, because I, I just. You know, the the more you see the scene, the more you realize, okay, we know what's happening in King's Landing. We know that there is this feud happening between the Starks and, and the Lannisters over Tyrion's capture. Catelyn is a smart woman. I think at this point she realizes that her sister's crazy. Uh, her nephew is 
I, I have no words for what he is. I, I haven't know, found what the is right he? word. <laughs> oh, man. He makes me uncomfortable. How's that? <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, um, and she's realizing that she's put this entire thing into the, like, into the wrong place, the wrong hands, just everything has, has completely gone out of control for her. So I'm wondering if there was a sense of relief for her when Braun ended up being the winner. Possibly. I mean, she did see him on the, uh, on the East Road, just brutalizing everybody in his path. So she may have expected that he would win, or at least, um, you know, thought that it was possible. Right. What a great, like, oh man, Tyrion's, this is my number three, so we'll just combine here. Um, okay. Yeah, Tyrion's whole story in this episode is amazing. First of all, waking up, just dangling over the edge of the sky cell. Oh, gosh, I, I could feel it. I, I could feel it. I physically right. feel it. I forgot about that. So I'm watching and I'm like, oh, my God, right. This is amazing. Um, and the look in his face when he kind of opens his eyes and realizes where he is. Oh, my God. Mord! <laughs> and he's yelling for Mord. And Mord shows up. And this guy is fucking awesome, man. I love Mord. I am team Mord all the way. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he's telling him that, you know, I've, I'm a Lannister, you know, I've got gold, you know, if you could help me, then I will owe you gold. And he's like, no gold. And he's like, well, of course I don't have it here. You know, no gold. Fuck off. And more, but runs off. But this, I think I've seen an interview with this guy and he seems like a normal dude, but he's really good at playing just like this, this guy who looks really, really touched, really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe he was at Liza's breast a little too long too, you know? Yeah. Or maybe he like fell partway from the area onto his head. <laughs> from the moon door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At some point. <laughs> and he's got this great scar that just goes all the way down his face. Like he's been through some shit. He's hit his head a few times. Um, I love this guy. He's great. So he finally gets Mord to come back, and he's trying to explain the gold thing to him, and he, he has the complete wrong approach trying to talk to Mord about this. He, he gets intellectual, which is the opposite direction he needs to go, and he's, sometimes possession is an abstract concept. To, to Mord, you think Mord understands what possession means? Or, or the guy can, who hasn't said a complete sentence since we first met him, yeah, yeah. Or if he can even conceptualize the the <laughs> the idea of an abstract concept itself, you know. So as soon as Tyrion says that, and you just, you just see this dumb look on Mord's face, I'm just dying laughing. It's one of my favorite interactions of the entire show right there and Mord just smacks him with the with the, the little club he's got as a that response. That club is awesome. <laughs> I hope he got to take it home and keep it forever. Yeah. And uh, during the audio commentary, uh Harry Lloyd who played Viserys is like, "Oh, what's his what's Mord's dildo made of that he's holding there?" Which <laughs> <laughs> cracked me up. Um so finally he's he, you know gets to him you know I am a Lannister if you've heard the phrase rich is a Lannister of course you have you're a smart man you know <laughs> talking to Mord and and uh, you know they also say Lannisters pay their always pay their debts so if you pass a message along to me from me to Liza I will owe you a debt I will owe you gold you know and he's just kind of like oh <laughs> you can see it the concept sort of hitting him and him realizing what's going on 
And he asks, what message? You know, tell her I wish to confess my crimes. Which is amazing. He. I'm so glad that he kept that message short. Because when he said, what message? I go, oh, Tyrion, what are you going to do? I know. What are you going to say? This is a horrible <laughs> game of uh, telephone. Is that what it is? Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. She just comes up and she goes, <laughs> I could just see him just looking at Liza being like, I'm going to get gold. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Or he That's wants to confess message. to the murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I said my crimes, not the murder. Um, so he, uh, he finally goes up there and starts doing the confessing, and he confesses in, to uh, stealing a, a maiden's clothes from the river and, <laughs> and watching as her boobs are bouncing all over the place and confesses to milking his eel into the turtle stew, which his sister then ate, or at least he hopes so, and the audience is a mixed reaction of revulsion and laughter. At least I hope she ate it. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrion. So great. Because yeah. then I know that that would be both of my brothers. Oh, jeez. Hey, hey <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. That's crazy. <laughs> You're gross, Kristen. You're gross. I loved, um, yeah, I didn't mention this before, but I loved it. I put a, a note about the fight between um, between Braun and Sir Mortem or whatever oh, his Sir name Vardis. is. I wrote it down. Sir Vardis Marcus, Egan? Yeah. Um, that Braun was just bobbing and weaving the whole time. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Floyd Mayweather, but that's how he oh. wins boxing matches. Interesting. Yeah, I've never really seen Floyd fight. Um, I'm more familiar with the uh, you've, the, uh, you've seen it. Ali it was Braun in this like episode. Nice. I love Braun, so yeah, I probably would like Floyd too. Yeah, he seems oh, he's no, a pretty small guy. Imagine, yeah, he's all over the place. Um, this interaction, this fight, is also compared to the uh, the rumble in the jungle with uh, Muhammad <laughs> Ali and George Foreman in Zaire, nineteen seventy four, where uh, the concept of the rope a dope was uh, sort of brought into existence by Ali, who who just let um, you know he he kind of like ran around a lot and had Foreman chasing him and wearing wearing himself out. He let Foreman hit him right. a lot, which is something Braun didn't do, obviously, here. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yeah, so George Foreman ends up wearing himself out physically, and uh, Ollie is just aggravating by grabbing his head and saying, I thought you hit harder, George, and everything like that. And he just trained himself to absorb all this punishment. So eventually, uh, Foreman is worn out, and Ollie just lays the smack down on him, and there's nothing much he can do. And it's the same thing here. Um, Sir Vardis is just... You know, in wearing 50 pounds of plate armor. I mean, a typical armor set could weigh 50, 60 pounds. You want it to be light in places where it's not needed. Like, not as um, you're not as likely to be hit. And thicker in places where you're going to be hit. But mm -hmm. this armor looks really heavy. Um, it looks thick. It's almost, like, studded all over the place. Like, diamond right. plating or something. Um, it looks like it's heavy armor. So... It's not surprising that he wears himself out pretty quickly while Braun is uh, gallivanting around, jumping over um, <laughs> railings and knocking kicking over, over candles, <laughs> throwing <laughs> throwing people in front of him. Yeah, and hiding behind <laughs> pillars and whatnot. Um, he, this guy, he he learned to fight in the streets. It's it's a uh, it's really cool to watch. And so eventually, yeah, he he uh, he he trips him and and. Drops him right in front of the moon door, and it kind of reminded me of um, the gladiatorial tradition where you, before you execute somebody, you wait for 
response from the the ruler, whoever is watching over the gladiatorial games, and they give a thumbs down if they want the person to be killed, or a thumbs up oh, if they right. want them to live, or opposite of that, or one or the other. But he's kind of waiting for the reaction, and they don't tell him to back off, so he executes him and drops him through the moon door. Super, super, super vicious uh, death here. <laughs> yeah, that oh, wow. oh, man, when he dropped that sword like right into the top of his shoulder, and then you see all that like red blood gush out over the armor. Yeah, and he that, really puts was, that, that sword was a deep. Lot. Yeah, it, it was a whole lot. Um, a lot of blood. And Servardus, I mean, we haven't really seen him do anything to deserve this necessarily, so it's it's like, wow, this guy Bron is willing to do what you know, he he's killed. Well, he's a killer. And <laughs> he didn't he didn't volunteer. Right. <laughs> he well, was like he was standing in the back of the room. He uh, he didn't volunteer when uh it was he thought he would have to fight Tyrion, but once Bron stepped up he he did sort of volunteer. He said, I would happily fight this man, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, he didn't volunteer. You're right. <laughs> Which is an interesting dynamic to this whole thing. And uh, another funny part is um, while everybody is is doing their, you know, um, Tyrion does a confession. Confession. He demands a trial by combat. Demands um, Before he demands a champion, all these people are like, I'll fight for you, Liza, out of loyalty to your husband and my love for you and the Vale. You know, and all these people are like stepping up, trying to fight. And in the middle of all that chaos, Sweet Robin steps up. Make the bad man fly! Gosh. <laughs> and then, like, I mean, yeah, sits back down, and you can see him, like, <sighs> as he's sitting, like, it took all this exertion to stand up and make that exclamation. It's With his great wand. Did you see that he had a wand in his hand? Oh, snap. I did not even see that. That is hilarious. <laughs> it's a wand. Waving around a wand. Like, <laughs> like he's decided he's a wizard oh, or something. Man. He's a conductor, I mean, like, conducting right, the exactly. symphony of he's Tyrion's just, death. The kid makes me uncomfortable from start <laughs> to finish. I love it. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, man. So, yeah, just a great, great scene. And, um... I think my favorite part of like the whole thing is after Vardis drops down the moon hole and Liza says, you know, you don't fight with honor and and um Braun responds, No, he did. You know, <laughs> great response by Braun. But then Tyrion right. comes up and, you know, reaches his hand out to Sir Roderick and he's like, you know, you you got my money, bitch, basically. And he tosses down his bag of gold. And um, as Tyrion's walking out, he doesn't even open it to pick out the silver or anything. He just tosses the whole bag to Mord. I hope Mord left. He didn't. We see him in the future, and he's got some gold teeth. So he <laughs> he definitely oh, kept the gold. <laughs> he's a simple man, you know. He doesn't need much. He he just wants some gold it's like teeth. I needed and, to chew better. <laughs> yeah, he likes uh, he likes being the turnkey, I guess. So. Good for him, you know. He's got money. He's doing what he wants. He's up in this badass palace. He's got, he's living the life. Uh, go Mord. Yeah, he he deserves it. You know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that. Unfortunately, that place is never. I mean, never that we see because John Aaron's already dead by the time this you know this show starts. This story starts, but the <sighs> eerie is just never held by a sane person. Yeah, not while we're uh, in witness, really. I wonder who's going to hold it now. <laughs> now that Peter's out of the picture, oh. that leaves Sweet Robin being the uh, the Lord of the Vale. Um, 
Great. And if somebody else is going to sort of rule until he comes of age, I imagine it would be Bronze Jan. Because um, I don't see John taking Winterfell from Sansa anytime soon. Um, being a you know blood relative, Sansa could theoretically take over the Vale in the meantime. Um, potentially. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, what do you think? Got any ideas for that? I don't know. But that's interesting that you that you said Sansa was a blood relative, which means that with Arya and her fighting capabilities, she could take she could take the veil with the Knights of the Veil behind her. Oh wow, that would be really interesting. Um Yeah. I also like uh Bronn's choice of words when he steps up for Tyrion there. I'll stand for the dwarf <laughs> yeah. which is pretty good. Um Did you know I was reading um I was reading the wiki for this episode and um I don't know if it was said in the commentary or not, because I read, you know, the cliff notes of the commentary, but um, they talked about during that, during uh, that fight scene that Braun actually fell through the moon door during one of the takes. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't know that. Um, on the, in the commentary, I, I did hear them mention that um, they had a bunch of foam blocks down there in case anybody fell in, but there's only so far you could fall. So it wasn't like a real danger, but that is hilarious. Braun fell in. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. I would love to see outtakes of that that scene, the whole thing from start to finish. Definitely. Uh, Yeah. People seem to be impressed with how Jerome Flynn performed that scene as well. Um, Yeah. He's, I could not imagine Braun being cast better than Jerome Flynn. Yeah. Well, you know, like, like I've said before, it's just nice that, you know, to see Braun without all of his guy liner that he has today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> True. Yeah. Now that you're mentioning it, that scene where he's aiming the uh, the scorpion at Drogon, I could sort of see the guy liner in my in my head now. Oh yeah, that's where it's like Drogo thick. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so that pretty much wraps up my number three. Anything else you want to say about Tyrion this episode or that scene or anything like that? I don't think so. Just that the bromance has begun. Oh. Okay. Um. I think there's one more thing we should add that we sort of glazed over is the introduction of the moon door in general, oh. um, which is just what a cool device, right? Yeah, but you don't want to be drinking in that room ever. <laughs> yeah. We have no executioner in the Vale or in the Eerie. Life is more elegant here. Elegant, yeah. <laughs> unless you're walking. But I want to know, like, okay, what is below it? Where are they falling into? Are they falling into people, water? I think that below is just rocks. Because in the books, they mention, I think Lysa's talking about the effects. You know, some bodies fall into, you know, turn into a bunch of pieces. They just separate into all these little body parts when they hit the rocks below. Some just bounce and they're sort of like make a study of like, (laughs) yeah, observing the way that the bodies react to the 600 foot fall to the (laughs) to the rocks below. Oh, okay. So it's 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 scientific. Yeah, yeah, it's scientific. But the um, the reference to life being more elegant here. Do you think that's a Star Wars reference? From what? Now I'm embarrassed. From what? I think Obi Wan mentions that the uh, the blasters are. Yeah, he's talking with Han Solo or something, and um, he mentions blasters being um, too dirty or whatever, and that Jedi weapon is this the the lightsaber, which is more elegant. Which is uh, interesting. So sort of wow, similar thing. I'm completely blanking on this. I totally believe you. And I'm pretty sure my daughter is going to take away my Star Wars card <laughs> when uh, when she, you know, schools me on this later. But <laughs> Which reminds me, 
I have something here for you. I went back and found the clip from episode four. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Sure, go ahead. What is it? Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. Before the long night. <laughs> Seems like we might have quite a few parallels between Star Wars and Game of Thrones. <laughs> so yeah, that pretty much wraps up my number three. When I sort of skipped, my number three turned into my number four there. So what's okay. your number three? My number three is Ned Holding Court. All right. Fun. So um, I think that there's a lot that happens in this scene, right? Um, oh, yeah. A lot of what you know, I think of as kind of the beginning of the end for Ned. Um, you know, a lot of people will think that it's, it's him coming out of, you know, the brothel and, um, you know, his men getting run down and killed and, and whatnot. But this is where he actually takes action. Um, he makes a big decree. He does it in front of everybody. He, you know, he orders Tywin Lannister to come to King's Landing, which I'm, you know, we haven't met Tywin Lannister yet, but, you know, I think we're all pretty, pretty sure that this is a formidable person to be demanding things from. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, Robert says in this episode that he's half a kingdom in debt to Tywin Lannister. So he's someone that you don't want to cross, um, or at least that Robert is not even willing to attempt to cross. <laughs> Right. Well, Robert's not willing to do a lot of what he's supposed to do, but he yeah. really likes saying he's king. I started making tally marks. For how many um, times he says he's king? Yeah, I think he did it three <laughs> times alone in this episode. That's hilarious. Um, But what I found the mo kind of cool was that we saw, well, we see Beric Dondarrion for the first time. Right, and a different actor. Okay, good. I'm glad that you said that that was a different actor because he's a little weathered now. And so I'm looking at him and I said, is this the same guy? <laughs> I just, I said, you know, maybe, I mean, he has like one eye now and, um, he's been killed a lot, so who knows, but. Yeah. He um, was recast in uh, season two or three when he makes his uh, next appearance. Okay. But Ned is the one that kind of unofficially forms the Brotherhood, Brotherhood without, without banners. banners. Yeah, totally. This right? decree, um, yeah, to, to send these guys off to hunt down the mountain and give him the king's justice sentences him to death straight up. Um, yeah, this is right. the, the formation of the crew here. So what I'm wondering is why, I mean... The mountain is a vile person and he's got some anger problems, but I just don't think that he would have the, the fortitude, not the fortitude. What's, what's the, the ambition or the motivation to get a bunch of people together and go around 
you know, taking down villages and killing people. And so I'm wondering, do we know if Tywin is the one that sent him? Is that why Tywin is being summoned? Because maybe Ned knows that Tywin start trying to start some crap with um with the Starks. Like yeah, I, I can't um, get a hold on. That's the assumption is that Tywin or that um you know the mountain is one of one of Tywin's bannermen, and that right. based on Catelyn's action of seizing the imp, that the Lannister family is reacting by um, raiding villages that are under the protection of house tully, tully. Right. right so With the that's fish. at its face that's what what um what ned assumes is going on here uh and he basically wants tywin to answer for the actions of his bannermen to claim he had no involvement or come out with the truth. Um, but if he doesn't show up within a fortnight, he's branded an enemy of the crown and a traitor to the realm, which is hardcore. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and why did, did he do that because Littlefinger goaded him into it? Did he do that because he was defending his wife's honor? Did he do it because he was trying to do something for the realm? Like I, it, I think it's, it's a it, bit of all the above, honestly. Right. I think that he may have been hesitant to make such a drastic move um, if if Littlefinger hadn't articulated the the severity of Tywin's potential actions there and really like shut down Pycelle as he was trying to mediate the conversation and um, temper their reaction. And once once Pycelle like had no response to Littlefinger, I think that Ned was sort of influenced into um, acting on his wife's behalf and making a move against the Lannisters. Um, yeah, so I think that a little bit of of you know D, all of the above for every reason you suggested there, I think uh, is accurate. Right. Well, yeah, you're probably right. It's just. I don't know. The whole thing is interesting to me. I mean, watching Littlefinger, you know, this is my third, my third time through the series, um, during this re rewatch for the podcast. And, um, nice. And, and so, you know, my second time through the series, I, I remember I paid a lot of attention to Varys, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that he orchestrated, uh, a lot of the houses coming together, uh, for Daenerys at the end of season six. And now that we're at the end of season seven, I'm going back and I'm watching Littlefinger closely now that I know his entire story arc. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like I pick up a lot more Littlefinger than I have in the previous two times cool going through the series i love little finger man he's an interesting character he really is um what do you think about uh aiden gillen's accent little finger's accent throughout the series you mean the fact that he <laughs> that him and daryl dixon share a lot of the same throaty capabilities as the seasons go on oh interesting i've never really uh, picked up on that before that's cool <laughs> um so so I'm watching The Wire right now. and um, Oh, he's in that too, right? He is, and he's in season three, and I'm only in season four, but he's also in season four, and um, he has an American accent. So Interesting. It's really interesting because I'm going back and forth between The Wire and Game of Thrones, and um, every once in a while I'll watch like season seven Game of Thrones, um, and then I'll come back and do, you know, season one Um for for this for this rewatch, so I'm getting a lot of different voices from the guy right now. That's cool. So it's interesting to me that I think that he's really he's really good at what he does. 
Um, but it, Aiden Gillen, you mean? Yes. Nice. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I love his accent. I, I think he's Irish. Um, I think so. Yeah. And, you know, in the, in the beginning, he's just, I don't know, he's just the snaky car salesman kind of guy where you're just kind of like, you know, I don't know much about you, but I'm pretty sure I hate you. <laughs> and then as the seasons go on, you sit there and you're, and he sounds more and more sinister, more and more devious, almost like he's kind of slipping more comfortably into this role as manipulator and as puppet master for all these different moving parts. Whereas in the beginning, I think he had to kind of hide his hand a little bit more, um, until all the pieces were moving further in status. Right. Yeah. And, 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 um, he sort of is able to step up into his own more as soon as Robert's gone and Ned's gone and all these powerful people are sort of removed, leaving a vacuum, um, where all these, other people that are sort of trying to step up and be bigger players of influence in the new power structure. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting how that all plays out. Yeah. What, what do you think of his accent? That's that. That's... I, I love it. Um, I've heard people say that they felt that Littlefinger's accent has been sort of inconsistent over the years. And there's one oh, moment, see. one moment where I heard that um, when they're talking about, sending a knife to kill Danny at the small council meeting a couple episodes back. You can hear it on the intro clip for um, Game of Microphones for that episode. But he says, um, what do you do when you find yourself in bed with an ugly woman? You you get on with it and whatever. And then he says, slit her throat and be done with it. And when he says slit her throat, it feels like he's like sort of slipped out of his little finger accent into like just like a, an American accent almost or something that that's the only time I've ever heard any uh, questionable um, accent work there. I, otherwise, I think it's I think he does a great job. I love Littlefinger's uh, sort of uh, slimy delivery and <laughs> the, the way he sounds. His voice even sounds sneaky. You know what I mean? It's really cool. Yeah, it's interesting in in this particular scene too. Is he's doing like this uh, this whisper thing with, that kids do? You know, where kids are trying to whisper to their to their parents or to an adult, and they're like. And you're like, dude, everybody can hear you. Like, I don't know why you're whispering. Everybody can hear you. It's classic. <laughs> oh, man. Anything else you want to say about this uh, this scene? Um, just the just the ending uh, of the scene. Honestly, it's one of my favorite lines of uh, exchanges of the entire um of the entire episode when he says gold wins wars, not soldiers. Then how come then, Robert um, is king and not Tywin Lannister? Right. <laughs> And um, it it struck me that I didn't understand why Tywin Lannister or the Lannisters at all were even involved with the Baratheons, considering that Tywin Lannister was the hand of the king, of the Mad King, and um, Jaime Lannister was the king's guard. Like, I just don't understand how they folded into the Baratheons after being a part of the Targaryens. It's, um, I think it has to do with the fact that the sacking of King's Landing was largely made possible by Tywin um, flipping sides from the Targaryen side to the Rebellion side. He basically sent word to Ares that he wanted, he, he brought his army to King's Landing, sent word to Mad, Mad King Ares that he wanted to enter the city to help protect them. And 
as soon as Ares opened the gates, he, instead of coming in to help protect, he just started attacking. Um, at which point Ares told, uh, ordered Jamie, who was by his side, to go get, to re basically go and return with his father's head. And that was the right, sort okay. of the thing that turned Jamie right. really against, um, against the Mad King. And then as soon as everything seemed lost, the Mad King started, you know, saying he wanted to burn them all. And that's when Jamie killed him and right. the Pyromancer. But Robert's rebellion was largely successful um, in terms of taking King's Landing because, because of, of Tywin's treachery. Okay. So he sort of entered the... Uh, he sort of... Which is why he's half a kingdom in debt to the Lannisters, probably. Well, the half a kingdom in debt thing is because he owes Tywin um, three million gold dragons. And they also owe three million to the uh, the Iron Bank of Bravos, which Cersei ends up paying back in season right, seven. Right, right. But uh, he right. sort of enters, he sort of, the first time Robert sits on the throne, he's he owes Tywin a debt by just being able to get to the throne in the first place. So it's sort of um, Tywin sort of... A many-headed yeah, beast. It's, it's, it was a treacherous move on Tywin that sort of put him, put Robert in his debt. And I don't think Tywin would want to be king. I think he likes being, um, you know, just outside the, the, the picture, you know, ruling from the shadows, sort of. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, which is interesting to me that he even took over his hand later from Tyrion when Tyrion really wasn't doing a terrible job. He was doing a really good job. Great job. Yeah, I think All that things it was just, considered. It was Joffrey's order that Tywin would be the hand, so he just had to show up eventually, I think, and take over. <laughs> Otherwise, oh, uh, Joffrey would have like written to him eventually and said, I hate the imp! <laughs> Get your ass over here! You know, <laughs> I imagine. Anyways, yeah, that was uh, that was my number three was Ned Holds Court. How about your number four? My, well, I'll I'll switch that again to my number two because my number one uh, has to do with Ned and this. So we'll just go right into my number one since we're already talking about it, which is Ned going for broke and discovering the truth. So we mostly that was my number two. So yay! Perfect. Yeah. So we sort of talked about him going for broke, um, but I think that it. It's first of all, it's interesting to see Ned sitting on the Iron Throne, because I don't think he's ever sat on the Iron Throne before this moment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when when he arrived to the to the cham the throne room, Jamie Lannister was sitting there, and he made Jamie get up. But I don't think he ever sat there. He never wanted to sit on the throne. So this is some. Well, they, position they that make he, reference um, that 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 he had that it had he sat on the Iron Throne, he would have been right. king. All he had Robert. to do was sit, basically. Right. Yeah, that's what Cersei had said to him. Um, so it's interesting, first of all, just seeing him in this position, which he doesn't want to be in at all, sitting on the throne, which is kind of cool. Um, the the man who comes in and is talking about how his village was sacked, I thought it was funny how he referred to Ned as your grace. <laughs> your hand. Yeah, and Pycelle's like, He's not your grace, you know, the the king is off hunting, this is the king's hand, you know, and his Pycelle's, like, frustrated just being there and giving this guy an attitude whose whole village was just destroyed, like, like, you know, calm down, Pycelle. Um, so I just thought it was super hardcore that Ned decides to take the action that he did, um, he charges Beric Dondarrion to bring the, the king's justice to Sir Gregor, strips him of his titles and sentences him to death, summons Tywin, which is all super hardcore. I just have like, whoa, written down. And then Such a uh, big moment. Yeah, and then we can have a, we can just combine here my second half of my number three and your number two, 
where which is Ned discovering the truth. Um, I thought this played out fantastically. Um, Sansa, the uh, um, Sophie Turner, I think, did a, such a great job in this scene where they're talking here, and um, she's saying, "I don't want someone else. I want him." You know, that and Arya's was such a good moment. Laugh, yeah. Arya's <laughs> laughing at her like she's ridiculous, and he'll be the greatest king that ever was—a golden lion. I'll give him sons with beautiful blonde hair. I'm gonna have his golden babies. Boom! Like the orchestral hit, and Ned kind of looks up, and the realization starts to hit him. When he says, he's, no, he's nothing like that drunk fool. He's nothing like his father. Right. Yeah, Arya's like, the lion's, the lion's not his sigil, idiot. <laughs> he's a stag <laughs> like his father. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. And and the way that um, Sansa delivers this line, she looks at Arya and says, he is not. And then she turns to, to Ned and looks right in his eyes and says, he's nothing like that old drunk king, you know. Um, and... That's like her telling him, telling Arya he's not a stag and confirming that further um, to Ned himself by saying he's nothing like the king. And Ned is just like, wow, she just, you know, said the truth of it. Like, he's not a stag. That's that's the thing. That's why John Aaron died. <laughs> right. Well, you could say he died because of the <clears throat> golden crown of the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So crazy. Um, how'd you think? How'd you like the the um, the revelation there, out of the mouths of babes? Well, I loved it. I um, I I'm told a hundred percent with you on that one. I um, you know, it, it was interesting to me of the double entendre of a golden crown being related to these children and and what their heads look like, and then Viserys's death, hence the name of the episode, right? Right. Wow. Um, but. You know, what struck me is that, you know, Santa says it in season in uh, season seven uh, in the finale to Littlefinger. And then it's mentioned before in season one. I forget by who I'm not on my A game today, but I forget by who. But um, that Starks are slow to learn. Oh, yeah. And little uh, Littlefinger says that. Right. Quick. of Well, Santa says it to Littlefinger in this past season's finale, she says, um, I may be slow to learn, but right. I do learn. And uh, and Littlefinger, right after Ned um, strangles him outside of his brothel, he says, Starks, uh, quick, to, quick tempers, slow minds. Right. So I think that, you know, this is one of those scenes that kind of explains that, is that Sansa doesn't realize what she's saying, but Ned is slowly realizing six episodes in after being there for a couple of months and you know, having this investigation at the same time, now he's learning, oh, this is what John Aaron was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's funny to me that, you know, the Starks are so good at getting in their own way. Um, yeah, it's funny. So, yeah, I, I like the fact that that everybody that that this one one aspect of of one of the show's biggest questions is being answered in this scene. Definitely. And I also like the way they do it. They don't really like spell it out step by step for the audience. They trust us that we're smart enough to figure out what's going on and that we'll pick up on it eventually, even if we don't really figure it out here, but we well, know that something of, important and has for happened. Those viewers that don't pick up on it then, I mean, he goes directly to that book in right. the next scene. Right. And, so good. You know, reads it all out. So I, yeah, I love that. I think it's wonderful. And, um, 
<laughs> I, I love the difference between Sansa and Arya's characters anyways, but um, yeah. Yeah, it's so. so funny. And Sansa, man, Sophie Turner is just so good at playing like a spoiled little brat, basically. <laughs> like Ugh. She's so good at it. Um, Especially with the Septa. Yeah. Oh, that's just, yeah, that was just brutal, man. Uh, do you want to see, do you even have hair? You know, she's like, yeah, I do. You would you like to see it? She's like, no. <laughs> Are you from the north or the south? Well, I, oh, wait, I just realized I don't care. Ugh. <laughs> Sansa, now you're just being rude. <laughs> so unladylike, you know, and she's usually such a lady. Um, she must be really frustrated over losing Lady, her direwolf, and over what? has happened on the King's Road, even a month later or whatever it I think is she's more upset that Joffrey doesn't seem to like her. You yeah. know, he's been kind of making terrible faces at her and ignoring her for the whole <laughs> King's tournament. Speaking of that, we get this scene where he comes in and he's acting like a proper prince in this episode, which is unnerving. So did you, did you uh, ever read about how... They wanted to do that scene. So there was a lot of talk on how Joffrey should play that scene. Um, should it be rude? Should it be standoffish? Should it be manipulative? And um, the the final thought was that it should be uh, sincere, that he's doing what he thinks is right and what he's been told that he's going to have to get on board with. And so they wanted him to be like, listen, you need to be sincere and you need to be as soft as you can um for this scene so i thought it was interesting that it was played in that soft <laughs> way because it still made your skin crawl and it still made you hate the guy absolutely um and yeah i think um i think uh jack gleason just does a phenomenal job as joffrey another great casting yeah absolutely i have written down in all caps i uh <laughs> what do i have written down i said Joffrey makes me want to throw things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just want to, like, put my thumbs in his eyes. Uh, mountain style. I love that. Yes, I want to put my thumbs in his eyes, too. <laughs> it crushes out like this! <laughs> <laughs> Let's all do that. Oh, uh, yeah. So, as you mentioned, Ned then goes straight to the genealogy book. Oris Baratheon, black of hair. Axel Brathian, black of hair. Lionel Brathian, black of hair. Stefan Brathian, black of hair. Robert Brathian, black of hair. Joffrey Brathian, golden hair. And like Sean Bean's performance, as usual, stellar, the way he sort of looks up from the book and his eyes are like kind of like bouncing across the room and you can see it, it hitting him, even just solidifying what Sansa had said. Um, <laughs> it was just just really, really good to watch. Um, well, especially since he saw Gendry, too, and he yep. saw that Gendry was black of hair. Yeah, totally. Um, anything else you want to say about the realization or any of that? No, that's good. All right. Are we to our number ones? We are to my number two. Okay, good. My number two is... Ario, I'll say, which is the Aria Sirio combination. Very nice. <laughs> Not I like to confuse it. with Ario Hota in, <laughs> from from Dorne. Um, but I, these scenes with Aria and Sirio are just really, really special. There's they're they're all so good and so strong philosophically and 
Sirio's character is just so excellent, and the the lessons that he's teaching her are so strong and important. And I just can't I can't stress enough how how much fun these Arya and Sirio scenes are. Um, Arya is distraught when she arrives. I don't want to practice today. They killed Jory. You know, my father is hurt, and Sirio spins it on her. You know, you're troubled. This is good. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, you can use this. Yeah, you want to practice when you're troubled because if you, you know, if you're then if you're troubled in a real fight, if you're away with your trouble when fighting comes, more trouble for you, right? <laughs> so you've got to practice when you're in when you're you gotta troubled. Got to shake it off. So, yeah, so you can get in the right mindset and overcome the mental barriers that would prevent you from fighting effectively. Um and this is a, the introduction of Arya to the God of Death. Which is really not today. Yeah, really um, interesting thing, especially considering in the modern context, um, we have. I can't remember who says it, but you know, the war is between the god of life and the god of death. And Arya, you know, Jon Snow is is a champion of life. Daenerys is a champion of life. Arya is a champion of death. Is that going to? Is there going to be some sort of divide in the future? between them considering their allegiances to like opposite spectral deities essentially i never thought of that before that's an interesting thought i'm gonna think about that i mean there's been so much darkness in Arya's story and her her i mean she doesn't have like full devotion to the god of death she didn't fully become nobody she retained herself and left and broke through the um the training and and stepped out and did her own thing and made up her own mind but she sort of still adheres to the principles um of the god of death i mean here sirio is he says you know you fear for your father yes that is right do you pray for the to the gods and the she responds and the new. yeah the old and the new he says there is only one god and she kind of has this puzzled look and his name is death and there is only one thing we say to death. You know what that is, Kristen? Not today. <laughs> yes, A plus for you. Sorry, I was really excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great line, um, and just a really interesting concept. It's it's um, the god of death could be considered the great other from Melisandre's visions. The the god beyond the wall in control of the army of the death. So I wonder if that if if Arya's connection with the god of death if that would enable her to infiltrate the nor the 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 death god's army um she could potentially get close enough to kill the night king um considering her skills that she's picked up with the faceless man and her her loyalty to the god of death both those things combined may allow her to um to get close so, I wonder if she would be able to slip into a White Walker. Yeah, if she could sort of, if she takes one of their faces, if she could. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's possible because I've seen when they die, they break up into a million pieces, but. Oh, yeah, if they're bone, for sure. If they're like skeletal walkers, definitely. Yeah, they sort of. Or like the two that John has killed. I think that they broke into a million pieces. Oh, the, hard the, home. the White Walkers, right. I was thinking Whites, yeah. sorry. No, 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 yeah, the White, well, because I don't think that the Whites would be able to get too close to the Night King, but 
the White Walkers might be able to get close enough. Ooh, that's a really interesting idea. Oh, um, uh, man. But I do like the fact that, I don't know if you noticed, but during that scene when Syria was monologuing to, uh, to Arya, that every single time he hit her, it was much like the waif hit her when she was at um, the House oh, of Black and White. That's so cool. And it just goes into, you know, more more proof of people such as myself that think that Sirio is Jokin, is, you know, the oh, many-faced god. man, that he is one of them. Right. That he's a faceless man. Wow. Um, so... That's I just thought it was interesting. Some of the mannerisms that he had, I don't know if it's picked up by maybe like maybe the idea has always been that. And maybe the person who played Jacques and Hagar saw Sirio and picked up that little hitting thing or something or the wafer. I don't know. So it's just an interesting thought. Yeah. I mean, there's it's interesting. There's there's a couple options. You know, Sirio could have either been taken captive and brought to the black cells, at which point he could have become Jacques he could mm-hmm. have been killed by Marin Trant. Um, the greatest swordsman in the world killed by Marin <laughs> fucking Trant. Fucking <laughs> Trant. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest swordsman in the world didn't have a fucking sword. Um, so yeah, he could have been killed by Marin. He could have been taken captive or he could have busted out some crazy faceless man shit and killed Marin or escaped. Um, he didn't kill Marin because uh, obviously Arya kills him in season five. Or six or whatever. A very, very satisfying scene. Very, very brutal and satisfying scene. Wow. Um, Yeah, wow. That's really interesting. I hadn't noticed the similarity between the uh, the combat, like the way he hits uh, Arya with the the wooden sword and how the waif did the same thing. And that's really neat. Good uh, good catch on that. But Arya is always just getting whooped on, huh? Yes, but it makes her, you know, the wonderful little assassin serial killer that we know and love today absolutely yeah gotta gotta get hit a lot until you learn how to hit back (laughs) potentially or how to dodge the hits um anything else that should be stitched on a pillow somewhere like put on stretched on a piece of canvas or something (laughs) (laughs) my awkward phrasing of that Yeah, Motivation Monday. You gotta know how to take the hits or dodge the hits. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, it goes right back to what we're talking about with um, the rope-a-dope tactic with Muhammad Ali and uh, Braun. Oh, yeah, it does. You know, Muhammad Ali learned to take the hits and withstand the punishment so that he could then spring on his opponent when they're weakened. Um, Braun is a master of this already, dodging and, and using his agility um which is exactly what Arya is going to have to do and what she does learn to do, um, as we see when she fights Brienne. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty interesting. All these connections all over the place. Really good. Anything else you want to say about uh, Sirio and Arya before you jump into your number one? No. How about you? Anything? I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, go on ahead. So my number one was actually kind of already covered. It was... Um, it was the golden crown scene and Viserys, but, um, okay. So mine is too the death of Viserys. Perfect. Okay, good. I, I just, um, I feel like we talked a lot about it, but, um, you know, one of the things, yeah, one, one of the, one of the main thing that I had was, um, the realization about, you know, Daenerys wondering if, um, if he was in fact going to get burned 
if he in fact was a dragon, if it was a Targaryen thing, or if it was, you know, just a Daenerys thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just a Daenerys thing. So, but, you know. That one, would be a good I, for a t-shirt or something, a pillow. It's just a Daenerys thing. <laughs> it's just a Daenerys thing. Yeah, see, you, we're going to make t-shirts and pillows. It's going to be a thing. <laughs> Um, but what what do you want to say about it? Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about his whole sort of story this episode and how it leads to his death. And you mentioned oh, okay. before that it's obvious that he doesn't care about anything around him. Um, and that's abundantly apparent through his actions this whole episode. He realizes that Danny isn't getting any love or that he, he's get, Danny's getting all the love and he's getting none. And instead of having the reaction that a a brother would have or that a normal person would have being happy for your sibling he instead takes it personally and leaves we next see him as he's preparing to steal the eggs from Daenerys and he's wearing his sword which Jorah points out is not cool Um, in Vyas Dothrak you don't want to be wearing a sword they don't shed blood there Uh, weapons are forbade So um, he doesn't give a shit about their customs, about their society. All he cares about is getting his army. So it's just, you know, just rubs further in that he really is just a douchebag, doesn't care at all about (laughs) any of these people. Um, I really liked the this interaction in this scene between um, Jorah and and Viserys. You know, Viserys sort of opens up to him a little bit. No one has ever given me what they gave her in that tent. Like, all that love. And he says, who can rule without wealth or fear or love? And he gets up to um, to leave with the eggs. And Jorah is not having it. Like, at all. Right. He tells him, you know, you can leave, but you can't have the eggs. And uh, Viserys responds to him, you know, you swore an oath to me. Does loyalty mean nothing to you? And I really, really like... Um, Ian Glenn's delivery of his response, which is, it means everything to me. You know, he's kind of sort of gravelly uh, voice projection of this where, like, you can tell that it, it's true. He he is about loyalty. He was trying to be loyal to his wife, which made him, you know, sell the, the poachers as slaves or whatever, um, trying to get money for his wife. He's pissed off that Viserys is not being loyal to his sister and his family here by taking the eggs. Um, he's being loyal to his Khaleesi by standing up for her. He's being loyal to loyalty itself by standing up against Viserys' non-loyal behavior here, which is really cool. Um, he's also a traitor in this moment too, though. Oh yeah. To, yeah. To some extent. Yeah. I mean, against Viserys. Yeah. But I think he's, uh, he's a traitor because... No, I mean, against... Both of them. I mean, he's still he's still whispering over to Westeros oh, what's yeah, yeah. going on. <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> really good point. Um, I had forgotten about that until Karth, right? Uh, I, yeah. Well, I think it's when she almost drinks the wine. Whenever that is, I don't think they were in Karth yet. Can't remember. At one point, he says when the last time he sent a message was. Um, I think he says the last message she sent was Karth, but um, yeah, it may or may not have been before the uh, the attempted assassination. Um, I, maybe the me- maybe he sent one message after the assassination saying like I'm fucking out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um. So yeah, it it means everything to me, and 
and and yet here you stand, Viserys says. And yet here I stand. Um, and, and Viserys is such a weakling. It's great. Um, we were talking about how he sees how much he relies on Danny and how seeing how strong Danny has become makes him realize how weak he is and seeing how much love she gets realize it makes him realize that he doesn't have that and he he's no one will follow him he doesn't have the um what's required to lead and he sort of realizes that all of his own talk is bravado and he's he's got his sword on him but he still doesn't try to mess with Jorah uh, at this scene. Instead, he drops the eggs carelessly, like uh, you mentioned, which shows how little he cares about anything, um, and storms out, sword on his hip. But, man, what a pussy, you know what I mean? He just totally drops those eggs and doesn't doesn't even look at Jorah, just slinks out like the shadow of the snake that he is. He's just a child. I mean, it's just like any child where you're like, yeah, you know, no, true. you can't take your toys, you know, into the bathroom or something like that. And they just like slam it down on the ground and they stalk out, you know. Absolutely. And he he, he basically is he's like Sansa, essentially a spoiled brat where um, he's never had anybody to to keep him in line in, in for the past 17 years since Robert's Rebellion, essentially. He's been his own sort of god and the god of his own universe as um, people are sucking up to him like Illyrio Mopatis and trying to help him for their own benefit, um, assuming that he'll remember what they've done for him when he comes into power. Um, Mm -hmm. But he really has no discipline, no honor, no morals because he doesn't he has had no no positive uh, guidance in any of these any of these places he's just been surrounded by yes men essentially um which is yeah, yeah really that's interesting. interesting he was probably the first time he ever heard no was probably the minute that um he lost control of his sister and yeah kind of got left in the dust yeah and it's definitely hitting him hard <laughs> it's hitting him really hard as we see in the next scene when he um when we arrive back at the party with Danny and everybody's happy and smiling and he stumbles in wasted. And, um, one of the funny things about this was that great drunk walk, great drunk walk. Right. And, um, <laughs> he, Harry Lloyd, the actor said in the audio commentary that he went on Facebook on YouTube, sorry. And was looking at videos of drunk people of walking drunk around, people. Yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious. And he did it really well. There's one point where he sort of holds out the sword and takes a step backwards and stumbles, and he looks legitimately uh, drunk. So I, I think Harry Lloyd does a fantastic job. And for anybody who's not familiar with Harry Lloyd, um, aside from this performance, he he narrates the Dunk and Egg novellas in the audiobook A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, um, and he does a real, real good job with that. So that's... Um, something I highly recommend experiencing if you guys want more um, Game of Thrones material. It takes place about 100 years prior to the events of A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones and revolves around... um, Duncan the Tall. Yeah, Sir Duncan the Tall and a little squire named Egg who may or may not be a king someday. You'll have to (laughs) (laughs) read to find out. You'll have to read to find out. (laughs) Yep. Um, So yeah, he, he shows up drunk, Puts the blade to Danny's belly and says he wants his crown. And Ugh, when he said he was going to cut out the baby and leave it for him. And I just. He's done. You know, at that point. Yeah. He's done. At that moment. 
you're done with him. You're like, okay, let's let's speed this along. Yeah, and Danny, the her look as soon as the the sword's at her belly and he's threatening her child, her look just glazes over in a, like a terrifying manner, almost where it becomes clear that all emotional connection is cut to Viserys and. Um, Drogo tells him what he wants to hear in cryptic fashion, <laughs> telling him the truth while also misleading him, which is great, you know, uh, saying he will give him his crown, the crown that men will tremble to behold. And that's all Viserys wants is his crown, you know, that's all I wanted. Great, cool. He pulls the swords away, he's all happy. Um, <laughs> Maybe. He looked a little worried. <laughs> you think so? I don't think he was worried at all until... No? Nope, not until he was grabbed. Uh, yeah, I thought he just seemed like is completely lost in his delusion. Uh, yeah, because he's like smiling and sort of laughing. I think being drunk is playing into it too. He's not realizing what's like probably really going to happen. Um, but yeah, he he gets grabbed. His arm is snapped. Hardcore sound effect and dragged over. And as uh, Drogo is collecting bits of gold and melting them in the pot. He's crying to Daenerys for help, who's just... She's so over it. She, like I said, her, she cut all ties to Viserys when yeah. he threatened her child. Same way uh, she did with Jorah, essentially, when she found out that he was informing the king, the crown, about her pregnancy. The same sort of glazed overlook, and uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And, you know, Viserys gets his golden crown in spectacular fashion steaming and screaming uh and <laughs> and the sound when he hits the ground there man wow yeah that thunk you know that's interesting what you're talking about is is danny and her glazed look and and watching her brother die you know that was her slave owner yeah as well exactly you know he was he was prepared to take her back her take master. his property back and she'd been witnessing you know the way that slaves have, are treated in the Dothraki and, um, you know, pe people being used as property. And she's had her own little history with that in the six short episodes that we've seen her so far. And, and prior, basically her whole you know, life. For her, this was her breaking of chains, right? Yeah. She finally gets out from under this guy that uh, has been goosebumps. basically, you know, shoving her nose into the ground for years. You know, so that's a very liberating moment for her as, as well. Yeah, she's she's earned her character and now she's breaking her chains at this moment. And she grows her wings at the end of the season, you could say. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. So good. Um, great point there. But the this is the breaking of her chains. Um, I right. hadn't, hadn't really considered it like that before. A really astute observation. Um, anything else you want to say about Viserys? Glad he's gone. Yeah, he was no sh he was no dragon. Fire cannot kill the dragon. You know, I think yep. that pretty much Peace. sums it up. That and uh, what Jorah says that he was no more than the shadow of a snake. Uh, and at the same time, he's a really tragic character. You know, because he's <laughs> he's raised on this delusion, and he's trying to emulate his older brother, as we see. Rhaegar in season seven for the first time. Oh, and what he looks like. He looks like, you know, Viserys is totally biting his his clothing style, his hairdo, his like his 
his mantra to the best that he can, but in his own like twisted Joffrey esque um, way. Right. And because he was so little, you know, he doesn't understand the morals of his brother or like his brother's philosophies. He just understands what he symbolically represented in his mind, which is the dragon, the right. power, the the beauty, the glory. And he's trying well, to. They don't know that. what his brother gave up. Yeah. In in the name of love and honor and, you know, I mean, he gave everything up. Yeah, all for a prophecy and a theoretical future um, and for the better of mankind, which is something that Viserys would never do. Shows you how, you know, how similar and yet different the two characters are. Um, right. Which is pretty But also, awesome. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, is um, he gave everything up. I mean, he was obsessed with the prophecy, but I mean... He gave up his wife and his kids and his son named Aegon. Yeah. Um, for another woman. For another woman and for the potential um, of saving of of the human race um, for the greater good by trying to birth the prince that was promised. Right. You know. Right. Um, where he he's willing to give everything that he holds dear for a cause, which is something that Viserys would definitely never do. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> So as much as he, he wanted to... He had no to, cause. Yeah. As, and even if he did, um, I don't think he would give anything for it, really. Yeah, he, uh, as much as he wanted to emulate Rhaegar, he didn't understand Rhaegar at all, which is the tragedy of Viserys, I would say. Um, really good way to end the episode is him getting what he, what he finally deserved. Um, mm-hmm. You got any other notes from this uh, episode you wanted to discuss? I do. I have a few notes, actually. All right. um, one of them, one of them, I'll, I'll save for the last because it's a little longer. But um, you know, we didn't go over uh, Robert's hunt, right? And uh, making the eight and the disgustingness that that is. <laughs> the disgustingness that I love. Um, and, <laughs> and you know, we we saw a little uh, an interesting side of Cersei. Um, in the beginning of this episode, what what I found was really interesting um, was that um, she says, I should wear the armor and you the gown. Right. Oh, man. Um, Which is interesting to me because once she becomes queen, her dresses look like armor. She Yeah, she's actually been wearing armor already in this uh, this season as well. She had a... Um, a corset that was an armored corset that she was wearing, I think. In right. The, during the, uh, it was like a golden one um, during her conversation with Robert last episode or the episode before. Oh, yeah, that corset. That's true. Um, so, yeah, she's she's all about that life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But when, you know, when when she blows up this the, the sept um, at the end of season six, mm-hmm. that you know, dress that she was wearing had a lot armored of um, shoulder militaristic elements to definitely. it. Definitely. Yeah. And the fabric of her dresses, the entire season of season seven, it, it's this heavy quilted fabric that Vader-esque. looks like armor, right? Yeah. Like kind of like what, what, um, Jon Snow and, and Ned Stark wear, um, yeah. just, you know, out for battle or something. So it's interesting to me that, she's already kind of preparing herself for what she would do, you know, if, if she were to lead. Absolutely. And this has been a lifelong um, thing with her. She always has thought that, um, that she would be better holding a sword. Um, she envied Jamie and wanted to be Jamie and 
that whole thing. And uh, what is it? Um, there's a, a scene. When is it? I think when during season two, when King's Landing is being sacked, she's in the room with all the uh, all the people and Sansa. And she says, I'd rather face a thousand swords than be locked up in here with all of you doing nothing. Um, right. So just further uh, shows us her mindset that she is just all about <laughs> being that that manly um, warrior person. And yeah, she's that's it's her. One basically. of probably the only respectable qualities that she has. Yeah, she 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 would love to be Brienne of Tarth, basically. Which is makes yeah. which makes the love triangle between uh, her and Brienne and Jamie even more interesting because she's probably thinking that like, Jamie might even love me even more if I was like Brienne. <laughs> yeah, probably. Maybe. She hates, I don't know. hates Brienne for getting under Jamie's skin and probably envies Brienne at the same time for her, yeah. uh, her, you know, Brienne's everything that Cersei wants to be big ass, big well, badass. Because she's a lot. Woman. Yeah. Cause she's a lot. Cersei is a lot more like her brother than she really thinks you know they're both very cerebral they're both very strategic um very smart when it comes to what they want and how to get it yeah definitely so which is funny you know she i I love it that she's yelling she only yells this is one of two times i ever recall her screaming or yelling throughout the entire series um once uh, the second time and the last time i think i've heard her yell was when um joffrey died right after he died when she was screaming for right. Tyrion's head to be cut off and and i'm just now realizing this the first time that we hear her scream was this episode when she's yelling at ned about um about her brother and about, you know, what, what her husband has done and, and the steps he must take. And is he an idiot? And she starts really yelling and it, it's off putting because she's more of a whisperer than right. anything else. Yeah. And Robert's telling her quiet woman. <laughs> Weird in silence or I'll honor you again. <laughs> Great it. line. I'm not for hitting women <laughs> at all. Um, but, but wow, that was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> so funny, man. As a woman, I can tell you that was awesome. I shall wear this like a badge of honor. Ugh, because, and and that's why it was awesome, because that was such a ridiculous line. (laughs) Wear it in silence or I'll honor you again. Oh, Margaddy. Wow. And then the other thing that we didn't talk about was also, um, you know, the introduction of Osha. Right. Oh, I love Natalia Tena. she and even even on in the, as this role, she's like scarily sexy to me somehow. Oh, she's awesome. <laughs> she's awesome. I mean, she'll always be Nymphadora Tonks to me. But um, who's that? She was from Harry Potter. Oh, okay, I didn't know her name uh, in that. You yeah. should, yeah. She she's a great character in that too. I, I just think the actress, you're right, is very very good. Um, but her as Osha, she did such a good job that um, I read somewhere that George R. R. Martin actually wrote the character differently or wanted to write the character differently in the books um, after she was cast. Oh, interesting. Um, and how she played the role. Yeah. Um, how she considering how she played it uh, in the audio commentary, she had someone asked her what type of animal she was channeling at the scene where she shows up and they sort of try to take Bran captive. Mm-hmm. And I guess she was trying to channel a raccoon. 
which is pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. In That's this awesome. Role. Yeah. Um, I think she's just gorgeous and, uh, and awesome. I wanted to talk about that scene more just because I love OSHA so much, but I just didn't think that there was a lot to be said for anything that happened at Winterfell this episode. Yeah. Um, um yeah, I mean, we had Theon stepping up, showing uh, how good he is at archery, as was hinted at in the last episode during the sigil lesson where Bran is being taught by Maester Lewin and Theon's mm-hmm. shooting in the background. Right. Um, I thought it was a, it, this it, interesting because it's like the last moment where they get to be kids for a minute, where Bran is riding around on the horse with his new saddle and they're just kind of hanging out. And then it gets all serious and uh, they never really have another moment of... Um, childhood again after that any of them you know yeah that's true oh that's so sad yeah and theon's encouraging rob to go to war and rob puts him in his place kind of dickishly saying you know it's not your job because it's not your house and then theon saves the day he said the same thing to Jon snow you know oh you're not a stark it's like dude i get it you're the lord of winterfell yeah yeah just got just it chill bruh um and wow what a gorgeous forest that was um it's a really beautiful place where they're filming Mm -hmm. there's so much good stuff um but the the last note the last note that i had was actually i don't know if you remember because um it was a while ago but the last time we did uh the podcast together um we were talking about i asked you if you thought that this uh the title sequence the opening song was slower Oh, right. I forgot to look. I forgot to look into that. Did you research that further? I did. Mm. And so, of course I did. That's what my life is research. (laughs) Um, So, first of all, they, uh, what, uh, the people that put together the title sequence, it, um, they always have the same uh, four elements uh, when they do the maps, right? They have King's Landing, Winterfell, the wall and then in quotes wherever Danny is at the time and that and and they put that in quotes because um they always want to kind of show just how huge the world of Westeros and Essos is interesting um so they start introducing you know uh different different elements and, and different castles so let me um go to title sequence i have it up on my computer because i thought it was really interesting they wanted to be able to put everything um to put everything in of of wherever they're going because you know anybody that's kind of like just a big bigger fan than just a a viewer a regular viewer knows that you know you watch the opening sequence and and it tells you kind of where you're going to go in the episode yeah well they actually they can't get as specific as they want to. So they always have to kind of take broader terms. Um, So throughout the series, the title sequence continues to change and add locations, depending on the locations visited in that particular episode. Um, So they talk about the first, the first um, season, how it's uh, vice Dothrak, the Eerie and the twins all appear um, as well as these other four that are always shown. But as the show kind of got more involved um, and bigger as the seasons went, they found that they couldn't get to all of it in 90 seconds, which is the allotted time for the for the title sequence, right? Huh. So 
I think that they actually did speed it up because I went and I watched it from I watched it from different um, seasons, just the opening sequence from different seasons. Just I, I kind of cherry picked a couple of them yesterday mm-hmm. and it gets faster. The tempo is actually a little faster because I think that they're trying to get everything in that they possibly can in under 90 seconds In under 90 <laughs> seconds, so which is funny that they say 90 seconds because the title sequence like for minutes, episode right? six was one minute and 50 seconds. Oh, all right. Wow. Yeah. It's in, yeah. Maybe they shrunk it down to 90, uh, later on or right. something. So I, what I can do, I can, I can audio capture, uh, the title sequence from season one and overlay it with the audio capture from the title sequence of season seven and compare the tempos. Oh, that would be really, really cool. Yeah. Well, if you go to the game of Thrones wiki, um, and you go to the title sequence, it actually breaks down by season, how many times each of the places are shown, uh, per season. And then at the very end, it shows you kind of everywhere. Right. And it has King's Landing, Winterfell, the wall all have 67 episodes. And then, um, with the rarest place being, um, hang on, where is it being Pentos, which is only shown twice. Interesting. Uh, Next from there is Eastwatch, which has been shown three times. Eastwatch. Um, so anyways, it's really interesting um, to see kind of like how the story has developed too, just just by the opening title sequence yeah. and where they go. I'll admit, I, I often um, completely space out during the title sequence and end up missing it pretty much entirely. <laughs> I You know what? I do that for every show I watch, but it's something about this music where I want to like grab my Robin Aaron baton and start <laughs> Conducting yeah. the orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, big props to Ramin Javadi. He's just an incredible um, composer, and I think that his work on this show rivals any work on any show that I've I'm familiar with, at least. Um, pretty. Amazing. I love it. Podcast Winterfell has a great um, a great section of their show. At least they used to have it all the time, where they did a, a thing called Clef Notes, and they would analyze the um, the the slight differences in the different themes of music in the show and what it what it may signify and what the music tells us on um audibly before it actually happens and oh like i that. love that see that's the kind of shit that i'm into man yeah you should definitely <laughs> go back and and any and watch any listen to any old episodes of podcast winterfell and go to the clef notes section uh, it's really cool okay i'm totally going to do that I, I wrote it down yeah matt does a really really great job with that um we should also mention how Roz leaves Winterfell this episode, um, at least out, right outside Winterfell or whatever whorehouse she was residing at, and uh, she heads for King's Landing, and Theon is interacting with her a little bit before she uh, before she goes. Oh gosh, <laughs> which is hilarious. He's just so gross, He's you so know. Gross. <laughs> Can I see it one more time? <laughs> see what? <laughs> Flips are the the uh, Flips are a coin. A I coin. mean, he's just so gross. For a flash, and um, I'm going to miss you. <laughs> She's just laughing she says, the whole time. I know. Yeah, I liked her. She totally Han Solo's him there at that scene. You know what I'm talking about? Episode five of Star Wars as Han Solo's being lowered into the carbonite. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, yeah, 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 yeah! I love you. I know. <laughs> I love you. I know. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> so she totally Han Solo's him. A second Star Wars reference for this episode, um, considering nice. the elegance of the lightsaber and the moon door. And uh, here, Theon, I'm going to miss you. I know. Which is <laughs> hilarious. That pretty much wraps up all uh, all my notes. Uh, you got anything else you want to mention? No. Um, I don't know if anybody's interested in book chapters. I don't know if you've done it, but um, every episode goes over um, what book chapters it goes over. So if anybody's ever interested in that, you know, you can always go to the wiki of Game of Thrones, not the Song of Ice and Fire wiki, but the actual Game of Thrones wiki. And for every episode, it'll tell you what chapters that it covers, um, just in case anybody was ever interested in reading the chapters by episode. Wow, that's really cool. All right, stick with us, guys. We'll be right back. news about Game of Thrones. Our first article comes from Huff Poe. Even this Game of Thrones star missed this tragic, subtle Easter egg. Game of Thrones Season 7 featured more reveals than there are swords in the Iron Throne. However, none was bigger than when HBO went all Ancestry.com on Jon Snow. <laughs> the most recent season, fans finally learned definitely or definitively that Jon Snow is a Targaryen and his real name is Aegon, or as the internet has deemed him, Aegon. <laughs> That's my first time seeing uh, that. Um, now that we're privy to that info, peeps on Reddit noticed an apparent Easter egg, or rather an Easter egg, as an egg on, the show planted years ago. The first word Shireen Baratheon taught Davos, uh, Jon Snow's now loyal conf- confidant, was how to read the word Aegon. Davos himself, actor Liam, Liam Cunningham, was recently out at New York Comic Con promoting his new project, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. Um, and for anybody who's interested in Philip K. Dick, look up the podcast, Philip K. Dick, The Man Who Remembered the Future, and you will have your mind totally blown. But HuffPo asked um, Liam Cunningham, about the connection between John's real name and the first word Davos learned to read. He said, yeah, they're very good at that sort of thing, said Cunningham. David Benioff and Dan Weiss plant little Easter eggs there um, if you want to see them. The fact that Shireen, Carrie Ingram, was part of this moment with Davos is kind of tragic considering how much he cared for her and how much she was ultimately sacrificed, um, or and how she was ultimately sacrificed by Melisandre. But despite the moment's significance, Cunningham told us he had no idea it would be so instrumental at the time. No, are you kidding me? I don't know what the hell is going to happen from one episode to the next. That's a testament to how good the writing uh, is on that, too. After seven seasons, people are still asking the same question they asked in season one. Who do you think is going to end up on the Iron Throne? From Game of Thrones to Philip K. Dick, here's the rest of our conversation with Cunningham. You're now in Electric Dreams, but is it true you you used to also be an electrician? Somebody did make that connection. I never thought about it. I was an electrician, and now I'm in electric dreams. It's almost bizarre. Our next item. I love Liam, Liam Cunningham. Me too. His uh, his voice is great. Um, everything about him is awesome for this show. I think another perfect, an example of perfect casting for the Onion Knight there. He's without a doubt in my top five of favorite characters. I love him. Yeah, he's definitely in my top ten um, for sure. Our next article uh, comes from Movie Pilot. And it's really, really sad. So brace yourselves, everybody. Game of Thrones actor Roy Dotrice has passed away. British actor 
Roy Dotrice has died at the age of 94. While he was arguably best known for his performances as Leopold Mozart in the critically acclaimed film Amadeus, the actor became even more renowned in his later years for his role on Game of Thrones. Dutrice played Halim, the pyromancer in the HBO series, the elderly man who aided Tyrion in his acquisition of wildfire, which led to the crown's victory over Stannis Baratheon at the Battle of Blackwater. In addition to his role on the Game of Thrones television series, Dotrice is also known as the narrator of George R. R. Martin's book series on which the TV show is based. Voicing 223 characters for the recording of Just a Game of Thrones, the first audiobook in the series, Dotrice set a Guinness World Record for the most characters voiced by a single person. And for anybody who's listened to my still smug uh, book talks, you probably are imagining or figuring out that Roy Dutrice is a huge inspiration to me. I really, really enjoyed uh, his performances on the on the audiobooks. Total recording time of A Game of Thrones accumulated to 33 hours. Interestingly, Dutrice was initially cast as Grandmaster Pycelle before Game of Thrones had even begun. However, due to health concerns, the actor had to pull out of the role. During the second season of the HBO Juggernaut, he was then cast as Helene and appeared in two episodes. During The Ghost of Harrenhal, Helene shows Tyrion barrels of wildfire in his dungeon, and in Blackwater, he aids Tyrion from atop the Red Keep, giving him all the wildfire he needs in order to succeed and defeat Stannis' army. Dutrice's legacy extends beyond his Game of Thrones role. In addition to Game of Thrones work, Dutrice appeared on television quite regularly, having roles on Murder, She Wrote, Babylon 5, Wings, and Going to Extremes as well as appearing on British soap operas Casualty and Doctors. He played the regular role of Jacob Father Wells on the original 1987 Beauty and the Beast, starring opposite Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, um, George R.R. Martin wrote that TV series as well. Um, 1995, he voiced the character of Frederick during one episode of Batman, the animated series, Detroit also did a lot of theater work and won a Tony Award for his role in the Broadway revival of A Moon for the Misbegotten. Rest in peace, Roy Dotrice. Yes. Um, yeah, really, really sad. I can't express how how much I've enjoyed Roy Dotrice's performance in the audiobooks. And if you think about it, Roy Dotrice has done more acting in the A Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones universe than anybody else um, in the entire productions uh hundreds of hours of performances by roy detrice narrating all the characters of the series and the their inner dialogues their their conversations uh just everything the whole story is told by roy detrice um in honor of him please listen to the audiobooks um and send me your email and i'll send you the first book for free if, as long as you haven't received one from a friend before Nice. Oh, Very nice. Really sad about Roy. It is. It's nice, though. I mean, it. it's nice that he was 94, yeah. that he left behind a huge legacy um, of work. You know, that's that's a lot more than a lot of uh, a lot of people in that industry are afforded. So. Yeah. And I th- if anything, I think we should be really happy that he did live as long as he did. Um, 94 is quite an accomplishment. So. Absolutely. Amazing. Rest in peace. Uh, Mr. Dotrice. 
Our next article is by Mashable. This Game of Thrones Season 8 casting just debunked one of our favorite theories. The Golden Company is coming into Game of Thrones in Season 8, and we know now who's leading it. And who isn't? Cersei ominously name-dropped the infamous sellswords in the Season 7 finale while telling Jaime about her evil scheme to defeat Daenerys and Jon, having tricked everyone into thinking Euron Greyjoy had abandoned her and run back to the Iron Islands, when in reality he was jetting off to Essos to hire some mercenaries to beef up the Lannister ranks. We've previously discussed how the Golden Company could end up working in Danny's favor instead of Cersei's in the final season, but a few pieces of casting news but a new piece of casting news throws a slight wrench into our theory. Game of Thrones fan site Watchers on the Wall reports that the Last Kingdom's Mark Risman has been cast as Harry Strickland, now known uh, known in George R. R. Martin's books as the leader of the Golden Company. According to Watchers, Risman's Spotlight CV and his agency's website reportedly confirmed the news, but any mentions of Game of Thrones have have since mysteriously vanished from the sites, and HBO declined to comment on the rumor. A casting notice dug up by Watchers on the Wall back in September revealed that the show was looking for a mercenary between the ages of 35 and 50, which the fan site predicted to be Harry Strickland. That description is a far cry from the Harry Strickland presented in Martin's books. A wiki of ice and fire describes him as portly, with a big round head, mild gray eyes, and thinning gray hair that he brushes sideways to cover up a bald spot. But everyone knows that TV has slightly different standards for beauty than literature does. If Rissman is indeed playing Strickland, that debunks a popular fan theory that if and when the Golden Company shows up on screen, it will be led by Danny's smitten former flame, Dario Naharis. Yes, that's my uh, my theory. Ha! I love it. <laughs> Very interesting. As we noted in our Golden Company explainer, Dario used to be aligned with another sellsword company, the Second Sons, but some fans have theorized that he could have gotten wind of Cersei's dastardly plot and embedded himself within the Golden Company to help out his dragon queen, paving the way for a pretty cool reveal. But that was before Danny hooked up with Jon Snow, her, her nephew-slash-lover from another brother. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> Damn. And somehow, we're guessing Dario might not feel so loyal once he hears that Danny ditched him for another beardy swordsman. <laughs> <laughs> Our next article comes from The Hollywood Reporter. MIPCOM, Peter Dinklage, Charles Dance to executive produce Quasimodo. The Game of Thrones stars board the series, which is based on Victor Hugo's classic novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and is one of the dr drama pitches unveiled by the new platform association um, Atrium TV. Game of Thrones star Peter Dinklage and Charles Dance have joined epic series Quasimodo, a new adaptation of Victor Hugo's The Hunchback of Notre Dame, as executive producers. The series which Game of Thrones executive, executive producer Frank Dolger um, is attached to produce alongside the Frankenstein Chronicles, Tracy Schofield and David Tanner is being written by Ashley Farrow um, from The Living and the Dead. One of the first drama pitches to come out of Atrium TV, a new association of international streaming and telecommunication platforms that was launched earlier this year and is run by former Sony boss Howard Stringer and Jeremy Fox, chairman of British distributor DRG. Atrium's members include European telecommunications giants such as France's Orange, Deutsche Telekom in Germany, and Telefonica's TV outlet Movie Star in Spain, as well as Asian streaming firm iFlix. The company's concept is to co-develop and co-finance high-end television for international platforms that they alone could not afford to bankroll. The next item on our list is from Time. 
The best Game of Thrones jokes about Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas getting engaged. <laughs> Sansa Stark has a wedding coming up, and the internet has a lot of feelings about it. Actor Sophie Turner has announced her engagement to singer Joe Jonas on Instagram over the weekend, and Game of Thrones fans could not let a perfectly good opportunity to make some Sansa Stark jokes slip by. After all, Lady Sansa Stark of Winterfell has already been engaged twice, but neither one was by choice. Who is this man she has selected to be her husband, who may end up being the next King of the North, or um, or at least Lord of Winterfell? Is the engagement merely a strategic alliance for land and soldiers? Was this engagement just another diabolical move by Littlefinger? <laughs> or was Sansa simply... Um, getting engaged because she couldn't let Jon Snow best her with his own engagement. <laughs> Perhaps more oh important, though, is the question of whether the game of the season of Game of Thrones will be delayed even further after Harrington and Rose Leslie's wedding. The internet has a few questions and took to Twitter to ask them. Yeah, I saw a funny comparison between Joe Jonas and Littlefinger, saying that Joe Jonas was young little finger just trying to get in Winterfell. And <laughs> Somebody and mashed their two faces together. Oh, God. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's, it's scarily similar. That's funny, man. All right. That's it for the news. And we will go to Raven's Calls. R, R. <laughs> and we're back for Raven's Calls. You want to start, Kristen? Sure. Caitlin Sidote. I'm so sorry if I said that wrong. Sidote. Hey, Caitlin. Um, the crown that was promised. Yes, uh, it was promised and we finally got it. <laughs> awesome <laughs> to see that. Angelica. Also, Caitlin, let us know how to pronounce your name. Um, just Please. So you can get it correct in the future. I appreciate that. Angelica Garcia Decker says, ah, yes, crown for king. <laughs> That's a great line from this episode, too. Drogo's totally. broken uh, Westerosi is <laughs> always classic. Uh, Becky Price. Hello, Becky. Hey, Becky. Uh, says, Viserys getting crowned is potentially my favorite moment from the entire series. So does that mean that there's something wrong with me? No, uh -uh. <laughs> no, it, there's nothing wrong with you. My absolute favorite death on the show. Hashtag fuck Viserys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the second comment there was from the uh, Patreon group rewatch. Uh, I added that in there, which is pretty funny. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Jillian uh, Moreau says, ah, the golden Jillian. crown. <laughs> and she has the crown emoji, head wearing a crown. This was one of my favorite moments in season one. And would probably make my top ten overall. Danny being able to give Viserys exactly what he had coming to him, and the look on his face when he realized how it was going down, I loved it. Which was nice. Which was a nice recovery after seeing her eat the heart, which was just gross. I still shudder thinking about it. Also, Tyrion in that sky cell. Holy hell! Amazing view, but not the way I'd want to wake up to it. <laughs> yes, oh definitely gosh. true. I still, I, I still like when, whenever they do shots like that, where you're looking over something, I'm always like, no, that's enough. Okay. I get it. It's really high. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Seriously. Uh, Mrs. Wendy Ott Eppers says so much happened in just six episodes. It felt like we had the series alone for so long, but not really. We meet Osha, love her character. Sky cells. Very cool. Agreed. Yeah, it is funny how, how little we really got of Viserys 
probably a good thing. <laughs> Kira Brown says, Never have I ever watched a, quote, sex scene that just involved two people looking at each other. If Drogo looked at me that way, I would eat a horse heart while walking through fire and figure out how to make a horse drink salt water. <laughs> totally. Kira, yes, I'm totally with you on this one. I don't know what would terrify me more. <laughs> Drogo looking at me that way <laughs> or looking at me like he wanted to kill me. Either way, it would be bad. I gotta say, you know what? I think that both of those looks were very much the same. <laughs> and I think he got equal arousal and satisfaction uh, from both instances so probably, there you go probably right that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> uh, james gayunas gail lunas do you know um not sure gail gail lunas uh gail lunas uh when i first started watching game of thrones the first several episodes had me intrigued but not hooked Episode six is where that changed for me. When I saw that terrible things could happen to not only the good guys, but the bad guys as well, that was the moment I was hooked forever. Awesome. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. Um, yeah, it's totally true. Something really bad happened to this bad guy. Um, and we don't get a lot of bad stuff happening to bad guys, but every once in a while they throw us a bone <laughs> or throw Ramsey's dog a bone in the form of Ramsey. Oh. <laughs> May Almardini says she has her top five for us. She says five and more slapping, always involving a Lannister. Because <laughs> Robert says, uh, what did the five fingers say to the face? Cersei, slap. <laughs> Number four, Robert calls the Lannisters yellow haired shits. <laughs> As he looked at his kids. <laughs> so funny. I had the same thought yeah. on that one. It's so great. They, yeah, another, another little hint sprinkled in about uh, Joffrey's true heritage as King Robert calls all the yellow Lannisters yellow-haired shits. I don't know what happened between you and those yellow-haired shits, Ned, but listen to me. <laughs> you put it all behind you. <laughs> um, a funny little aside about that scene, too. Apparently, um, Mark Addy, who played King Robert, and Sean Bean, obviously, who played Ned, They've, they went to school with each other, apparently, and have known each other for years, so it kind of added to the uh, chemistry that they have between these two actors and their scenes together. Just a cool little uh, side note. Three, Viserys realized he's not a dragon. You can't rule without fear, wealth, or love. I almost felt sorry for the big douche McVie. <laughs> hey, don't don't associate Mix with, uh, with that V there <laughs> as a McPherson. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's cool. Uh, Danny... <laughs> Danny loves the okay, and um, or Danny gives the okay, and he gets his crown of gold. Number two, some characters are pushed into being assholes. Theon tries, but is constantly being put down. Jamie and Cersei are other good examples, although other characters are able to overcome the abuse, such as Jon and Tyrion, and are still good people. Number one, the ongoing theme that being honorable, spelled the C-A way, is not always honorable. In this episode, Bronn saves Tyrion even though he doesn't fight with honor. Other examples, Jaime killing the Mad King. Sandor is not a knight, but he's more honorable than his big brother. Uh, Dave Halberg. Huh. I like that name. That name sounds nice. I don't know. Sounds like a weirdo to me. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like he's married to a really awesome girl. <laughs> hey, Dave. Uh, love the introduction of Braun. We briefly saw him at the scene at the Crossroads Inn, but the scene where he does the trial by combat for Tyrion is 
just such a great intro. He beats the other guy while wearing no armor and even has a pithy retort when he's told he does not fight with honor. No, he did. Classic. Just the first of many great Braun lines. My husband has a love affair with Braun. And all his guy liner. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. Um, thanks for writing in, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Emily Reeves says, Yay, I'm all caught up. Loved the idea of the sky cell and that golden crown that was delivered as promised. Agreed. <laughs> so awesome. I totally agree. Yeah, this is a classic episode. Um, very old school Game of Thrones. Very old school. Yes, indeed. <laughs> we have a couple emails as well. You want to start with those, Kristen? Sure. This is from Hannah and Florian. Hey, Duncan. We just want to say hello from Germany. We hello. are big fans of your podcast. Yay, Germany! Yeah. Even though I rewatched Game of Thrones in German with my boyfriend, I kind of forced him to watch Game of Thrones. So for him, it was the first time watching the amazing show right before season seven aired. I really enjoy listening to you guys every week. And now I'm excited for episode six. I can't wait. We've had enough of his series, so it's time for his golden crown. <laughs> Danke und de Winternacht, Hannah and Florian. That's, that's interesting. I wonder what that means. I'm going to have to look up that German. Thank you so much for writing in, guys. Um, hopefully, I think their winter not it could be say winter is coming, maybe. Oh, probably. Yeah. Thank you, Donke is. Thank and you. Thank you, and winter is coming. That's awesome. Um, or maybe it's even winter is here. Ooh, I like that. Our next email is from Archmaster Rennie. Hey, Rennie, how you doing? Oh, you can't answer me. I guess it's a kind of a. He's doing vein. good. He's doing really well. Uh, he wanted me to let you know. She, I believe. Hey, Game of Microphones gang. I'm really enjoying the rewatch podcasts, and I've been watching along and remembering how good season one was. A Crown of Gold was a particularly good episode. My top five: five, Bron rocks. Yeah. Four, Viserys was no dragon. Three, <laughs> Sky Cells are terrifying. Two, horse hearts are very unappetizing. One, there is only one god, and his name is Death. And what do we say to Death, Kristen? Not today. <laughs> Your loyal listener, Archmaester Rennie. Thanks, Archmaester. And of course, we have a voicemail as well from Lady Anwen in New Zealand. Oh, yay, New Zealand! Hey Duncan and lovely co-host, it's Anwen here from New Zealand. Just wanted to call in and let you know how much I am loving this rewatch of Game of Thrones season one. So so great. Um, a few things that I've just noticed over the last few episodes: um, Danny's hair getting more and more elaborate each week. She started out being all sort of fluffy and simple, and um, as she started to get her her power. Um, the braids started coming in and they're getting more and more elaborate and obviously the end of season 7 it's it's quite extreme so I just love that symbolism it's really really cool especially given the Dothraki um, way of of 
uh, hair and plaits and everything showing power. So that's really awesome. I love Sean Bean. He's so, so good. And uh, I've, I've loved him since my Lord of the Rings days. And I think he's amazing in that role. Mark Addy is incredible. I love how he just goes from comical to really menacing um, at the drop of a hat. It's really cool. And things that I'd forgotten, like Sansa actually liking Joffrey at the beginning and just how completely awesome Bronn is. It's just wonderful. I'm really enjoying it. Thanks so much for the podcast. I really look forward to it every week and look forward to hearing what else you guys have to say. Have a great day. Bye. Lady Anwen, so nice to hear from you. I uh, really love all your feedback there. And um, the audio quality is great as well. I think it's cool what you picked up about um, all of Danny's braids and how they get more and more intricate and extreme as she rises in power. And I, too, am uh, greatly entertained by Mark Addy. He's uh, just a hilarious dude. He does a lot of comedy roles, usually, too, so it's cool to see him in something like this. So glad you're enjoying the rewatch, Lady Anwen, and uh, hopefully you'll stick through the whole thing with us. Looking forward to hearing more feedback from you soon. All right, that's our show, episode 48. Thanks for listening, everybody. Next, we'll be covering Season 1, Episode 7, You Win or You Die. If you'd like to call in, you can always call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3639. Send your ravens to ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Go to gameofmicrophones.com and pick out any episode from the entire series rewatch that you'd like to listen to. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. We're also at youtube.com slash Game of Microphones and all kinds of other social media platforms. All right. Thanks for listening. Not today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.